Our Bible readings today are 1 Peter 5, verses 5 to 7, followed by Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And now Micah 6 verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so today we're going to talk about humility. And, you know, I've got a mate who, whenever you talk about humility, he wants to sing that song. You know, that lovely old song. I thought the blokes could just about sing it. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble <laughs> when you're perfect. In it. But I thought then it's probably more likely the lady should be singing, shouldn't it? <laughs> no, let's not go there. Let's not go there. But then I did think this. Then I thought, well, maybe it's not that hard to be humble in a way, in a way. And then I thought, well, maybe you need to get a new perspective on life. And if you do that, then maybe it'll work. So there you are. Humility, though, if, if you start going looking at humility in the Bible, it is really one of the very, very highly regarded qualities of the Bible. And we probably know that. It's a, one of those character qualities that you really just know is critical to God. And he, he says it in so many, so many ways. He, he opposes the proud and the arrogant. And he gives the humble, the, the, you know, a real favour in a lot of ways. And if you go to, I just looked this up on the internet, okay, and it was on BibleStudyTools.com, and it's got a whole heap of stuff, and they've put it into this sort of nice essay. And he, they say, it's a sign of genuine religion, that's in Micah, and an absence of self, it's bankru bankruptcy of spirit that accrues no merit, but it depends solely on God's righteousness for salvation. And since the Lord denounces the hypocritical worship, and false humility, a person's heart must mask his or her, her posture, and it just goes on. It's, I mean, you can look that up, and you can find heaps and heaps of stuff. We just know that it is really critical and really important to God. And we're going to look at it today because some of the things that we've been looking at have been talking about who we are in Christ. And as you will find as that unfolds, if we are not careful we can take what God has done to us as being declared sons and daughters of the living God and we can build that up so high that suddenly we can take it a bit too far and that's, where we, that's what we need to look at it. We make sure that our humility, that, that that becomes balanced, that there's a balance about all of that sort of stuff. All right, so it's free from pride and arrogance. C.S. Lewis says this, and I like this, I really like this. This is one of those things. Humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. And so you actually suddenly don't worry about who you are yourself and you're actually thinking about other things. And primarily, you know, the Lord becomes your focus and, and after that, then other people become your focus. That's the sort of thinking. All right, so then you go on. And, uh, humility, if you look at different verses, humility begets wisdom and then wisdom begets humility. It's got this lovely lockstep sort of thing. So if you become a humble person, you become a wise person. 
and then as a wise person you become more humble and then as more humble you become more wise it's sort of that sort of thinking it's really quite a quite an interesting sort of idea but the biggie and we are really this is really important we are directed to be completely humble that verse out of first peter talks about us to um, direct to be completely humble clothe ourselves with humility humble ourselves we've got a part to play in it we do have a part to play in that however how clothe yourself with humility towards one another humble yourselves therefore under god's mighty hand that he may lift you up the question is how do you do that that's a how what's what what is it is it is it simple so often when we look at humility this is what happens we look at lists of what to do and how to do it and these are some of the lists these are some of the things that we ask to do we say confess your sins ask forgiveness of those you sin against be quick to listen to slow to share your own opinions don't be sure so sure you're right all the time cultivate thankfulness realize you're dispensable serve others take on lowly jobs in your church take an interest in others consider others more important than yourself ask for help wisdom and prayer all of those sorts of things and they're good lists and often they've got verse and chapter and verse next to them and you look at them and you think along those lines but i wonder whether if you could have, if you were just a person with really good discipline you could do that you could do all those sorts of things and you could be doing it not out of humility but actually for your own benefit you know because we know we know that if you in, in fact want to win the best and fairest on your footy team then you've got to become a team player and so if you are doing it to win the best and fairest then you become a team player that's out of discipline isn't it if you want people to like you then you've got to take an interest in others it could be just out of discipline and you're actually doing for yourself rather than out of the genuine humility that you really should be showing and so i wonder it's still for my promotion if i'm not careful you know it might be just out of discipline and if we do it often enough of course it becomes a part of us and so it's not a bad thing to do it's not a bad thing to sort of sow into your heart and do it long enough but i wonder whether there's something really more rock bottom something that that's even lower than all of that that changed our hearts and not just our behavior you know so that in fact we become humble people rather than just behave humbly that's what i was thinking all right let's keep going well a couple of things our perception of God, where he stands in our life and how big he is in our hearts and how importantly do we treat him and treat what he says. I want to tell you about Sam's story. Actually, when Sam was only probably five or six, he was at school, just at school, and we decided at this stage that I would take all the kids out of school for a day and go and do something with them individually. And so I decided to take Sam fishing because he was even then really keen on fishing. And we lived in just out of Horsham at that stage. And so we had to, uh, we went to the school and it was just like this. The, school, the kids were all in class, not unlike what we're doing now. And I said, Sammy, you pack your bags up. We're going, we're going fishing. And he was really shocked. He didn't know what was going on. I sort of lined it up with the, with the teacher. And so he was delighted. And he was so shocked. He didn't speak for about oh, half an hour on the way to Horsham. He just thought, what's going on here? I think I'm in trouble. Anyway, once he knew what was going on, he, I couldn't shut him up. He was just fantastic. It was really one of those things. And, and you thought, oh, it's been successful or anything. We went and we had to hire a boat. And we went to Rocklands Reservoir. Some of you might know that. Had to go fishing for redfin. And we were sitting out on this boat. And I just remember this because he said, he said in the end, he said, Dad, how, how big is God? And I thought, oh, see, everything's coming together. I, I mean, we've done this just without really any intention. And 
here's this young man asking about God in a circumstance where this is just fantastic. And so I started saying to him, well, it's a bit hard to know, Sammy, because it's really hard to put him into context because he's everywhere. And, and I started rattling on about a sort of theological. And he said, no, 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 I don't mean that, Dad. He said, I mean, if he was here now, would the water be up to his ankles or up to his knees? <laughs> Isn't that lovely? And so I always remember that, you know, that concept of God is, is he, you know, do you have him so big, big enough so the water is just up to his ankle or a little bit small so it's just up to his knees? And I always remember that. Our concept of God is so, so very important about this. And, and God had a dilemma. He had to shrink so small to fit into our sort of, our sort of system here. And so he's gone from being maker of heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them and being God of wonders and of everywhere else. And he had to sort of come down and fit into our sort of uh, lifestyle that we have here. And really it is quite an amazing dilemma. And our big dilemma, of course, is to understand that idea between, you know, what, who we are and who God is and to stick with that. I've got this illustration from marriage and then the two sons the, out of the prodigal son story. Let me tell you about our marriage though first. Now Anne might not know I was going to share this, but she might. All right, this is, this is when, in our marriage, now I always often think that you, when you talk about relationships with God, then your marriage is a very, very good starting point to measure and illustrate relationships because that's your closest relationship you have on the earth really and so you know things about relationships that just sort of come incidentally and we're because we are made in God's image then he is all about relationship and he's given us our partners to really this is where the rubber hits the road this is where iron sharpens iron and and you work things out and I thought funnily enough this week we're talking about humility and and God gives you a very very good opportunity to test that doesn't he isn't that lovely? And he often tests it in the relationship of the closest with you. And you stumble over this dirty big log that's in front of you and you look back and you see humility written right along it. So maybe that might have happened this week. But I won't tell you exactly what that was. But this is what happens in our, this is what happens in our marriage as we, and, and we often talk about this. When we have our relationship thermometer at 10 out of 10, and really things are going well you know we are really working at one another very well and then we what happens out of this we promote each other we honor one another we favor each other and we serve with one another really unconditionally absolutely without any expectation of return and we think that's fantastic we treat one another like kings and queens okay but there's a very there is a real weakness about that and it becomes, and one of the weaknesses is that that becomes a very nice and very pleasant and very, uh, you know, you think that the life is wonderful at this stage, but that becomes a new normal. And so if you back off it for one reason or other, the other person says, oh, hang on a minute, that's not very good. And not only that, if, you, if Anne treats me like a king and does that unconditionally and she serves me and honours me and all that sort of stuff, suddenly I think I am a king and if she backs off a bit I start to demand that she serves me and honor me and treat me like a king do you know what I mean by that does that happen in your marriage as well suddenly it's very easy from going to be to the lovely privilege that happens when it is unconditional and there's just endless service there to suddenly start to demand that you know so you take a position 
that's not your position to take. And so that often happens in our marriage and we often look at it and we think, no, we just need an adjustment there. And if we don't make that adjustment, if we don't sort of uh, make that adjustment, then there's an imbalance of power and somehow that sort of retains a little bit of a problem within the marriage if you don't make that sort of an adjustment. And so it goes back to being, uh, rather than going from 10 out of 10 when it wanders down to 5 out of 10 or 3 out of 10, then the adjustment again brings it back up again. But without question, that sort of thing happens again when we are treated and, and considered to be sons and daughters of the living God. And we somehow get to the point where all of those amazing blessings and the things like Nikki was sharing, and we think that we deserve it. We are treated so, so, so very well that that's the normal. And so when that doesn't happen, we start to demand it and say, where are you, God? What are you doing? What's going on here? You know, we need a little bit more input. And so the privilege and the promotion and the benefit and the favour and the honour that God displays on us, sometimes we start to demand it. And sometimes that's where we go and we lose our humility and we forget that it's just a wonderful privilege. Uh, we become the friend, the son, the daughter, the heir, the maker of heaven and earth and the sea and everything in it. And holding on to those two things is really easy to distort at the same time. You know, you wonder, you've got this amazing privilege on this hand amazing position on this hand but on the other hand god is just so much bigger and so much more that well the truth's part of this all right we've innumerable sins against god the unbelievable mercy is poured out on us we we understand that we know that in our heads um, our every breath our heartbeat our eyes our ears our strength and mental health are all from god he could remove them at any time at all you know at any time with a, our complete inability to control any single thing in life really all of that's there. We know sort of that a bit. And every good thing, talent and gift you've got is from God. And again, he could also remove them at any time. Um, and if God, God did not keep us from sin, you'd plunge headlong into it. That's really what would happen, you know, if he, if he didn't have a sort of a hand on us. And there are multitudes of far more intelligent, gifted and godly people than I am or ever will be. But most importantly, and this is probably where the key starts, what about this? All butterflies undergo an amazing transformation during their life cycle. The insect begins as an egg, then a crawling caterpillar, followed by the pupa stage. During this stage, the caterpillar begins to convulse in rhythmic jerks, breaking off its outer skin. Its legs and head capsule are quickly shed, giving rise to a chrysalis. Then, within the first day, the caterpillar's organs disintegrate into a soupy liquid. Miraculously, after one to two weeks, a complex winged butterfly emerges. This metamorphosis takes place in a matter of days, not millions of years. The adult butterfly now has six segmented legs, antennae, a specialized feeding tube, two amazing compound eyes, complex reproductive organs, and four ornate wings. The caterpillar had none of these features. Clearly, the genetic instructions for all these stages 
were programmed into the insect by the Creator from the beginning. When a butterfly changes from a caterpillar to a chrysalis to a butterfly, there are two completely different designs here. One design is for the caterpillar, that's the initial stage, and all that does is creep around on the backside of a leaf and it munches and eats all day, increases its size about 250 times, that's all it does. But then it goes into the chrysalid, it turns into liquid, and then it comes out with a totally different design. What was the butterfly designed to do? Well, that was designed to fly, of course, where the caterpillar wasn't. It was designed to uh, drink the nectar from the flowers, but at the same time fertilize the flowers. It was designed to mate, and it was designed to be able to migrate from one country to the other, several thousand miles in some cases. So it's designed for specific things. The caterpillar has one thing to do, to grow, eat and grow. And the butterfly has several things to do, eat, grow, fertilize and mate. Now I want to tell you something about that. I want to admit something to you there that is a you you'll be surprised. I actually can't do that. I, there is, in fact, there's nothing. If I was asked to turn a caterpillar into a butterfly, I wouldn't even know where to start. Anyone else have any ideas where to start? In fact, I often wanted to say to you a bit of homework this week. I want you to go home and make me a lettuce seed. A lettuce seed. Can't do it, can you? Isn't it amazing just how many things are just way, way beyond us? And that, in fact, God is the only answer. We can't do that at all. That's, this is really one of those things that I just find um, a little bit humbling when you start to realize that we are just so limited in what we can do. John Ortberg sort of talks about this bit. We get comfortable, we have to get comfortable with not knowing everything. And so, and in fact, really get comfortable with it. He says, calls it the gift of uncertainty. Honesty breeds humility. And not only that, honestly, there's a lot we don't know. Actually, way, way more than we know. In fact, we know, we said this not so long ago with a group of people we were with. We said, the funny thing, the more you know, what do you realize? The more you realize you don't know. And in fact, the, what we know is so, so, so limited. And, and in fact, we become smaller. The, the bigger we get, the smaller we become, really, in a lot of ways. He goes on to say, religious fanatics always lack that humility of uncertainty because, of course, they know everything. And in fact, that's, a, that's something that should be a bit of a prompt in our hearts. We don't want to go that way at all. That's really one of those things we'd want to avoid strongly. You know, and, we, and again, I, I sort of suspect we live in a time now where we are not as denominational as we used to be. We're not as rigidly confined to the denominations that we used to say, and we're much more open to the other denominations. We don't know this. We don't know why one baby is such a delight and the other dies. We just do not know that. We don't know why someone is healed of cancer and another gets a four-week sentence. We just can't answer those sorts of questions. Why all the brilliance of creation leads David Attenborough to atheism while it leads Wilma to worship. Yeah, we don't know why that would be the case. Why would that be the case? Why does that? Why the the same information lead someone one way and the other one the other way? We don't know where there's so many of those things we just don't know. I'm fascinated by Job's friends when they had to answer, and in the end, God rebukes them. I'm fascinated by what Job says, and this is what Job says. He says because ultimately, Job sort of almost got talked into thinking a bit along the lines of his friends. 
And this is what he says at the end. Job replied to the Lord, the Lord in the end, I know that you can do all things. No plans of yours can be thwarted. And you ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? And surely I spoke of things I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And you said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. And therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Isn't that astounding? That's the sort of thing that happens to us when we start to get a bit of a glimpse of who the Lord is and how big he is and how vast he is. And that's that sort of thinking we just repent in dust and ashes and we realize how small we are i find i'm not the master of my own fate i'm not the top of the evolutionary tree or the creation's best there's so so much more i don't know that i know and i can't can't do that i can do i've only got a very few answers and i completely depend on the lord for sunshine air and everything in fact on god actually that's what i depend on completely absolutely without any question and that's a real humility check for me every now and again I need a true and honest assessment of that sort of stuff in comparison with, you know, good Lord, God of hosts. And, and then I find that, that it, it may be even stupid to elevate myself and to start to equate myself with Almighty God. I'm absolutely dependent on Him. And if I keep that right, it does flow into other relationships possibility. All right, maybe it's all about this, how big God is and how small we are, how unlimited God is, how limited we are how unrestricted God is and how restricted we are, how adequate God is and how inadequate we are, how infinite God is and how infinite we are. We just get a bit of a glimpse of that. And I think sometimes when we start singing those songs with whole hearts, it just it sows it into our heads as well. And yet, he calls us and he promotes us to being sons and, and daughters of the living God. When we talked, I, I didn't talk about that after talking about our marriage situation, but the idea of the two sons now... When you're talking about the uh, prodigal son, I honestly reckon that's a parable about the two most common ways we sin, singular. It's about the young son who heads off and he says, I don't want to see you anymore. I don't want anything to do with you. In fact, don't even come near me again. I won't be in touch with you. Don't be in touch with me. But the other son, he stays around and enjoys the favor of his father for all of that period of time and then he gets to the position when the other boy comes home, it comes out, he gets to that position where he thinks he has earned the right to have a say. And he wants to have a say in how um, fatted calves are used and rings and, and clothes and all those sorts of sandals. He wants to have a say in how those things should be used. If we're not careful, we can promote ourselves beyond where God would have us be promoted. And that's where we need to be. We need to understand this amazingness of God and also the fact that we have been promoted into a position that just we couldn't even think or could, well it's, uh, it's beyond anything we could measurably more than anything we asked or imagined really all right well let, let's stop there and let's pray about this though and our prayer really is that we just keep that in mind how limited we are and how big God is and just to enjoy that lovely promotion that he's given to us let's put that in a prayer to him Lord, that's what we'd like to say just as we finish here today. We'd like to say we'd like to say that in our hearts we want to know that we are quite limited in comparison to your unlimitedness. We're quite finite. We're quite restricted in, compar in comparison to your infinity and your unrestrictedness. And yet we also know that you've promoted us into that 
wonderful position of being sons and daughters of the living God. And so we appreciate that, Lord, but we want to make sure that there's always the balance there, that we don't, don't promote ourselves beyond your promotion of us and that we don't start to think of ourselves more highly than we should and that we walk in humility, that we humble ourselves and, and think rightly about ourselves rather than wrongly about ourselves. We often think of Moses, Lord, considered to be the most humble man on the face of the earth, but he wasn't, he wasn't a doormat in any way. He did some amazing things simply because he walked so closely with you. And that probably is our prayer, Lord, that we become and live as sons and daughters of the living God, men and women after your heart, walk closely with you, and therefore really have that right relationship always and ongoing. That's our prayer, Lord. Could you help to make that real in our lives, even more so than it is? And we pray that in Jesus' name.